There is a crisis of truth in the world today. Uh, we've, lost, we've lost confidence in knowing what is true and what's a lie. Public, uh, public relations, advertising, marketing executives, they make their living from bending the truth, stretching it. Uh, recent years we've seen phrases like fake news and deep fakes enter our vocabulary. Uh, people appeal to misremembering and misspeaking when they are caught telling lies. Uh, Computerised artificial intelligence is replacing real people in more and more ways. Sometimes it's hard to know whether you're talking to a real person or a computer. Uh, and modern communication technology means there are a hundred ways that you can get scammed every day. <laughs> Now, washing through all of that in modern society and technology, there is the postmodern philosophy, uh, which says that truth is relative. Your truth is not my truth. Now, which is really saying that there is no such thing as truth. Uh, when Jesus was arrested and brought before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, he said that he had come to testify to the truth, that everyone who was on the side of truth listens to him. And Pilate replied with the cynical question, what is truth? Now that could be an observation straight out of modern society. What is truth? And yet despite the direction our society is heading in, I believe there is still a great respect for people of integrity and honesty. Uh, people who speak and act truthfully. Uh, surveys constantly say that employers rate it very highly in employees. Integrity. All of us value friends who will speak the truth to us. Uh, and we respect people who are like that especially when we find them in places where we don't expect integrity, like politics or sales. Uh, and I think the flip side of respecting integrity is that uh, in, in general society, we have no respect for hypocrites, uh, for those who say one thing but do another, for those who hold certain standards for other people but don't keep those standards themselves. I think truth and honesty matters to us in our Western society today. Now, one of the reasons that we are like that is because we're made in God's image. God values truth. One of his key characteristics is that he is truth. A truth in his communication, a faithfulness and a reliability in how he relates to people. There's a consistency between God's words and his actions. He never lies. He never acts in a way that's inconsistent with his character. He is constant. His responses don't change from one day to the next or from one year to the next. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. Now, if God, God is truth and he demands those same qualities from those who follow him, he demands that his children reflect him in truthfulness and integrity. Truth in our worship of him and truth in the way that we live. 
Now, the heart of God's message to us today, it's there in chapter 8, verse 16. It's towards the end of that passage. I'm guessing it's maybe on the second page, halfway down, two-thirds of the way down that second page. Chapter 8, verse 16. And here's the, the key to what we're talking about today. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against your neighbour and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all these, declares the Lord. Now that's a challenge for us, I think, uh, because I think we are often not truthful. Now, we may not tell outright lies very often, but I think we mask the truth. I think we colour the truth to avoid awkwardness or conflict or offending people. Or perhaps there's a gap between the impression that we give people and the reality of our lives. We hide ourselves from one another. We pretend that we're happy or fine or successful when the reality is we're falling apart. We pretend that we're godly but there's actually a hidden sin that only God knows about. Or we give the appearance that we're doing some form of ministry to serve God, to see him glorified, but we lack an integrity. The reality is our motives are all about serving ourselves. Maybe feeding our ego, or, or maybe it's to please or impress other people, or, or maybe it's to be needed and appreciated. Or we fail to speak the truth to people. It's not that we lie, but we just choose not to speak truth. We say nothing when words are needed. Uh, to one another in encouragement or challenge or rebuke. Or we say nothing to a world out there who needs to know Jesus. That's failing to speak the truth. Uh, these are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in the courts. Do not plot evil against your neighbour. Do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. That's the key. I could sit down right now, but I won't. I'll, I'll keep going for a few more minutes. Uh, so chapter 7, it, it marks a, a new section in the book. Huh, we can breathe a sigh of relief. All those difficult visions are over, at least for a few chapters. Uh, we've jumped forward a, a couple of years uh, from the second year uh, at the start of Zechariah to verse 1, we're told we're in the fourth year of Darius. Uh, and the new temple building, two years on, it, it's, it's rising from the ground. Uh, there's progress. Uh, and so that leads to a delegation coming from the city of Bethel, verse 2 says, to entreat the Lord. They've got a question for the priests and the prophets, verse 3. Should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? They want to know God's mind on how to worship him. You'd think that would be a good thing, wouldn't you? Surely we should worship God the way he commands, not just any way we like. But it doesn't seem like it's a good question from the way that Zechariah responds. Have a look at verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Ask all the people of the land and the priests... When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months for the last past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? 
Uh, the fifth month was uh, when, the, when Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed. The seventh month was when the last governor of uh, Israel, uh, Gedaliah, was assassinated. Now, these were tragic events that deserved remembering and fasting and mourning, uh, sorrow at God's judgment. Now, they, people had been doing that for 70 years, ever since those events had happened. But now the exile was over. And, and now the temple was starting to rise from the ground and the people wanted to know if it was still right to fast. But God's answer is that he's much more interested in our motivation than he is in our actions. In our heart, more than the things that we do. He's more interested in whether we worship in truth, acts that flow from genuine sorrow and repentance. You see, God knows that the people of that time were fasting for themselves rather than for God. They weren't sincere in their sorrow. And at the other end of the emotions, when it was time to feast, to celebrate, they weren't doing it in ingratitude to God, but simply to enjoy themselves. Any chance that Christmas is a little like that for us? Now, at the very least, what did it mean that they were fasting for themselves? At the very least, I think it meant that the fasts had become empty ritual. Uh, they only did it because that's what they'd always done. Uh, their religion had become human-centred rather than God-centred. There was a truth gap in their religious practice. Uh, there was a gap between their actions and their motives, and God wasn't impressed. Yes, the exile was over, times had changed, but in lots of ways nothing had changed because the current generation were in danger of doing just what their forefathers had done. And so Zechariah continues in verse 7 and he gives a history lesson. Uh, are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous and the Negev and the western foothills were settled? Before the exile, God had told the people the sort of religion he wanted to see. Not just what they did when they came to the temple, but what they were to do in all of their life. For their forefathers, God had wanted to see lives of integrity. He wanted to see lives of truth. Now here Zechariah quotes some commands that Jeremiah gave back to their forefathers. So looking at verse 9. This is what the Lord says. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the, or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other. God is concerned with truth. Live it. Live truth. Dispense truth to other people. Justice and mercy. And not just in your actions, even in your hearts have an integrity. Don't, don't think evil of others. Don't plot evil against others. Let there be a consistency between your actions and your motives. Now, Zechariah is saying this is what God expected of your ancestors. But verse 11, they refused to listen. Verse 12 says they made their hearts as hard as flint. Some translations have diamond hard hearts. 
And so verse 14, the history lesson is God scattered them among the nations because they didn't listen. They didn't live truth. Which is exactly what God had promised that he would do. Because God is true. God is faithful and true. He always keeps his promises. If he promises to send people into exile for disobedience, he will do it. The whole reason the Jews were in the situation they were in Zechariah's time, trying to recover from exile and rebuilding the temple, was because of hard hearts, human-centred religion, failing to listen to God, not worshipping him with integrity, failing to live that out truthfully and consistently. They weren't consistent, but God was consistent and he kept his promises to exile them. Now, Zechariah hasn't actually answered the question yet, has he? But he sketched out the problem as being far bigger than simply whether they fast or not. And so we come to chapter 8, where all the way through from verse 1 to verse 15, God gives us a summary of his message so far through the book of Zechariah. Verses 1 to 15 are a point summary of what he's said through the visions. Now, I think all of it is about how God is being faithful and true to his promises, not to curse, like chapter 7 describes, but faithful to his promises to bless and restore. He's been faithful to punish the ancestors, chapter 7, but now into chapter 8, it's the flip side, he's outlining the blessings because God is faithful. God can hardly expect his people to be faithful if he himself isn't faithful. So chapter 8, verse 2, promise number 1, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. Just what he promised back in chapter 1. Verse 3, promise number 2, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. He'd also promised that back in chapter 1. Notice what will happen uh, in verse 3 when God comes back to dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called, can you see it there? The city of truth. The city of truth. Because the faithful and true God lives in that city and because he's transforming his people to be faithful and true. It will be a city of truth. Verse 4, promise number 3. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with cane in hand because of his age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. Now, he promised that sort of peace and paradise and prosperity back in chapter 2, verse 4. And then in verse 6, there's a, there's, a, there's a slight pause, I think, to reflect on these first three promises. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvellous to the remnant of this people at that time, but will it seem marvellous to me? In other words... I've promised it. Can you believe it? It'll be nothing for me to do that. I do this sort of thing all the time. And then verse 7, promise number 4. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. He promised that in chapter 2. This should, should be sounding familiar, I, I hope. 
Now notice how God describes in verse 7 how he will deal with his people. He says, I will be faithful and righteous. Now that word for faithful is the word for truth. I will be true and righteous to them as their God. Again in verse 9, promise number 5. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. Uh, Repeating the commands he'd made in chapter 4. And then in verse 12, the seed will grow well, the vine will yield its fruit, describing the blessings that will come. And verse 13, as you've been an object of cursing among the nations, chapter 7, so will I save you and you will be a blessing, chapter 8. Do not be afraid, let your hands be strong. Uh, These are promises of blessing repeated from chapter 3. And then finally, verse 14, we get promise number 6. This is what the Lord Almighty says, Just as I had determined to bring disaster upon you and showed no pity, uh, verse 15, So now I have determined to do good again. Do not be afraid. Cursing's finished. He described in chapter 7. Now blessing is beginning, chapter 8. Now through it all, I think the big point is, you can trust me. I am faithful and true. If you trust me, then you'll obey me. Let your hands be strong as you trust me. So that's all about God. Then from verse uh, 16, we see what that looks like. So that verse is not quite right underneath there. So it should be verse 16 of chapter 8. We see what it looks like for the people to have strong hands, for them to actually trust God. If they're going to trust the God of truth, then they will live truth. Look at verse 16. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other. Render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against your neighbour. Do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. And then finally, verse 19, God answers the question that began this whole section. Should we keep fasting? If the time of cursing is over and blessing is beginning, if the people are really trusting God and are living that out in truth, then there's not really any point to fast, I think is the answer. And instead of fast, they're going to be replaced by feasts. Have a look at verse 19. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fasts of the 4th, 5th, 7th and 10th months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Curse and exile and fasting is over. Blessing and plenty and feasting is here. There's the answer. Now notice how that verse finishes. Therefore, love, truth and peace. God demands truth in our worship. He demands consistent lives of truth. Consistent attitudes of loving truth, of of valuing it and expressing truth constantly and consistently. Now, if God's people could actually do that, Jerusalem would be a city of truth, just like verse 3 had promised. Now, what a glorious, attractive vision that is, isn't it? Can you imagine a city of truth? A a, a place where, where people just lived with one another and there was an integrity and a justice and a mercy 
It wasn't a city of walls and barriers and locks. It wasn't a city of police and judges and jails. It wasn't a place of inequity and poverty and selfishness, but it was a city of truth. That's that's the vision. No wonder God paints a picture that people will be attracted to a city like that. Did you see how the chapter finishes? Verse 20 to 23. Many people from many cities will come to Jerusalem because that's where God is. Because it's a city of truth. And these people from other cities will say to a Jew, verse 23, take us with you. We've heard that God is with you. I wonder how they would hear that God was with them. I think probably through God's people actually speaking truth and living truth and loving truth. That's how they would recognise that God was amongst them. It's a wonderful vision. Problem was, though, nothing like that ever happened in Israel's history. They never worshipped God in all of their life with integrity and truth. They never were the light to the nations that God was calling them to be. Until one Jew arrived. A man like no other. Jesus, the Word. God's one and only Son. God's living promise. John 1.14 says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came from the Father full of grace and truth. Full of truth. Uh, John 18.37, Jesus says he came into the world to testify to the truth. Uh, In John 14.6, he says, I am the way, the truth. I am the truth, he says. And then Jesus speaks truth to people. Uh, John 8.32 says, So that they will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Truth sets free. Uh, Where Israel fails, Jesus succeeds. He lives truth. He loves truth. He calls us to do the same. His truth sets us free. Our freedom comes from his spirit and the power of his spirit that enables us to live truth and to love truth, to be set free. Jesus calls us in John chapter 4. Jake began the service by thinking about this verse. He calls us to worship God in spirit and in truth. To worship God in truth. We, we, We don't worship God in a holy place. We don't worship God with religious fasting or hearts which are far from God. Uh, We worship God with true worship, with living truth. We, his church, can be the city of truth. We can be that new Jerusalem that Zechariah prophesied about, or, or at least we can begin to reflect the city of truth. We can foreshadow the heavenly city of truth. Which is what the letter of Ephesians calls us to. One of the recurring themes in the letter of Ephesians is truth. Chapter 1 verse 13, the gospel is called the word of truth. 
Uh, when we heard it and we believed it, we were included in Christ. We were joined to him when we responded to truth. Uh, chapter 4 describes how we all have a responsibility to, uh, to help one another grow more into Jesus, uh, to be more closely connected to him. Uh, verse 14 says that means we're uh, no longer to be confused by false teaching, to, to be tossed around and blown here and there. Don't put up with lies anymore, but instead, verse 15, speak the truth in love to one another. The result of speaking the truth in love to one another will be that we all grow up into Jesus. A few verses further on in chapter 4, verse 25, we're commanded to put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. Now, those couple of verses about speaking the truth in love, there can be a balance there, can't there, practically? We can speak the truth from all sorts of motives, but we are called to speak the truth with integrity from pure motives. We can speak the truth thoughtlessly. We can speak the truth accusingly. We can speak the truth from pride or competitiveness or revenge. Uh, we can speak, uh, that's on the one hand, or, or, or else we can speak truth that is hard to hear but is actually for the good of our brother or sister. Truth that teaches and rebukes and corrects and trains. Uh, chapter five, verse eight and nine, says that we were once darkness, we were lies and deception, but now we are light. And it says that the fruit of light includes truth, goodness, righteousness and truth. Chapter 6, we're encouraged to put on the full armour of God, which includes, verse 14, the belt of truth buckled around your waist. What does that mean? Well, I I think the belt of truth is God's truth. Uh, our belt of truth is, is, a, is lives of truth and integrity. And if, if we are taking on board God's truth, if we are living lives of integrity, then, then we can stand against the devil and his schemes. So that's the letter of Ephesians. Uh, may we be a city, uh, a city of truth, a people of truth, wouldn't it be wonderful for people to say to us, let us go with you because we've heard that God is with you. Let me remind you of God's words for us today. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other. Render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against your neighbour. Do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. Therefore, love, truth and peace. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you that you speak truth to us, that uh, we can trust you, uh, that you won't lie to us or deceive us, uh, you won't hold back and leave us in ignorance. Uh, we thank you that you've told us the sort of worship and the sort of lives that you would have us leave. 
We thank you too for the spirit whom Jesus sent who enables us to live these lives of truth. And we pray that your spirit might be at work uh, changing our will and our ability uh, to live truth and to love truth. Lord, we pray that we might reflect the city of truth, that we might reflect that heavenly Jerusalem so that people might catch a glimpse of it and uh, be attracted to it and attracted to you, uh, that you might be honoured and gloried in us and through us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.